My name is Matt Kierkegaard. I'm a beer writer. Um, that is actually a thing. Thanks to people like Scott today. Um, and thanks to Cloud Culture, uh, Cloud Culture I'm here virtually uh, having a beer uh, with you all and Scott Brandon, founder of Bright Brewery in the Victorian High Country, who I've had the pleasure of chatting with a number of occasions. I'm uh, really pleased to be back doing that again. And uh, we're here to talk a little bit about Scott's business journey um, and particularly how the business has evolved and grown and particularly with partners such as Cloud Culture. Um, so we can uh, learn a little bit more about that whilst having a couple of beers. And I can guarantee that the beers are going to be probably even as interesting, if not more so, than, the, uh, than, than Scott's journey. Scott, welcome. Thank you for having us. Great to see you again, Matt. And, and um, great to uh, have this opportunity to, um, to go through this with, with everybody. And the last time I was down was just after the actually it was just between the bushfires and the COVID lockdowns you know, I know. very very brief uh, respite between the two of them yeah crazy times huh so uh but before uh, how about we uh, get started uh, with the beer so talk us through which one uh, we're going to be trying first which one did you want to do? The, the um, you tell us the raspberry order. sweetheart I don't know what do you think I, well, I, think, we'll start, I think we'll start with the raspberry sweetheart it's a um just a nice refreshing sour ale. So um, some people may not be familiar with these styles. They're um, a very different flavored beer. Um, with this, they, they work quite well with, um, with fruits in them. Um, they have a, a bit of a tart edge to them. So um, that makes them a little bit, uh, I guess, more refreshing and or, or um, uh, palate cleansing, if you like. Um, and uh, pretty easy to knock back. So, and this is a this is a very approachable version of the sour ale. Well, we might just actually get a couple of uh, housekeeping things out of the way to begin with, because you know one of the things I hear so often is why pour it into a glass? Um, it comes in a nice package. Why? We're, yet we're all being very very uh, decorous and pouring our beers into glasses. Yes. Well. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, this is a leading question, obviously, Matt, because you know exactly why. <laughs> but, um, but uh, you know, the, the I, I guess with bottles, um, you know, the, the vessel is okay to drink out of, but the cans are less, less uh, nice to drink out of just from, a, just from how, how, you, uh, how your mouth interacts with it, I guess. But um, there's a lot more to it than that. And, and when you pour it into a glass, first of all, you get to see the true color of the beer and that's part of the experience of, of um, what you're drinking and this one's a nice bright red character so that kind of that helps to set up the expectations of what you're about to about to drink um, and then uh, you'll also as you're pouring it you'll get some of the aromas starting to come through so and, and which does the same type of thing it, it helps to uh, set your palate with expectations of what you're about to experience so this one you know as you're pouring it, it's got quite that fruity, fruity sort of raspberry flavour to it. So you know, it's kind of setting that there. Um, and then when it's in a glass too, you can, you know, as you lift it to your mouth, part of the sensory experience is through your nose. And when it's in a glass, you get more of that coming out. So I think you know th those are the main reasons uh, for for drinking it out of glass. And um, yeah, it's just the best way to do it. I do like to say uh, we're, we're because there is a certain amount of 
theatre involved in wine drinking um, that, you know, is about elevating the experience. And it is based on good principles. So if you do see us having a little bit of a swirl and a bit of a sniff, we're not auditioning for our uh, cravat fittings or anything like that. As, as Scott said, there is a very good reason around the, the, the aroma. So because this is as much a beer tasting as it is a business learning, uh, if you do see us have a bit of a sniff, that's what that's about. And uh, we encourage you to do the same, see what flavors you get. Um, don't necessarily go down to the front bar of your local and do the same thing. Someone might say something a little bit unkind about you. If you're doing it there, that might be the place just to drink for enjoyment, but for a tasting, feel free to uh, swirl and have a bit of a sniff. So uh, now Scott, tell us a little bit about Bright Brewery, the, uh, the, the, the brewery that these beers uh, all came out of. Yeah, sure. So um, we've been going 15 years now. We, we were started, we, we started with uh, my, my wife and I and, and a couple of friends. And um, it, it came about shortly after we moved to Bright, which is um, about three and a half hours north of Melbourne in Victorian high country. So we're nestled in amongst the mountains. Um, we moved up here for the tree change and the, the mountain country lifestyle. Um, you know, we're keen mountain bikers and skiers and um, we just like to get out into the mountains and the outdoors. So that was the first reason to move up here. But once we, once we got here, we realized that there was a great opportunity to um, uh, create a different experience for people in town. Um, you know, the, the two very established pubs that have been here for a long time were pretty much the only, um, you know, the, the, the only venues, if you like, that, um, that uh, you know, serve beers and, and uh, that type of thing. And, and, and they weren't really conducive to families enjoying them. So uh, we felt, you know, with, a, with our own young family, um, that we could build something that, uh, you know, was much more suited to that sort of lifestyle. Um, and so we, we started planning. We, we, um, we, we'd actually been home brewing for a few years um, prior to that. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of these, uh, a lot of these little breweries started up as home brewers. And, um, and I guess that sort of gave us an idea to head in that direction. Um, and uh, yeah, so we, we did a bit of a plan, um, found a prime block of land in, in the middle of town. We scraped together all of our savings and, and bought the block of land and then um, realized that we didn't actually have any money left to, to build something to put on it. So, um, so we, we basically uh, uh, went, uh, you know, my, um, we, we scrounged up a bit more money and built a little tin shed and we crammed all the brewing equipment into that and, um, and we operated that. And, and Matt's, Matt saw that, Matt's been with us uh, from that start. He, I think one of his first visits was just a few years after we'd opened. And um, we, we literally had all of this brewing equipment behind us with the fermenters and everything just crammed into this tiny shed uh, with a little bar on the side of it. And then, and out, and, but we had it, because we had this nice block of land, we had this uh, very nice outdoor beer garden, which was great when the, when the weather was nice which is most of the time in bright. Um, but when it rained, it was a bit of a disaster because you'd suddenly have, you know, 150 people trying to cram into a room that was about three metres by four. Um, yeah, and so we've grown over the years from there. And, and that's one of the things that we wanted to talk on today because you, you paint a picture that it's a very craft beer picture or, you know, garage band picture, home brewers making a bit of a, a sea change. But you, you, you've 
grown from those very humble beginnings into a you know a, a very significant regional uh business you've won statewide tourism awards uh for, for for what you've done so it hasn't just been um no matter how you started there has been a lot of thinking and a lot of business sense behind it hasn't there yeah that's right and you know i guess we're lucky because my wife was a very organized person and um you know she she made us write a business plan and she uh you know, she, she was uh, uh, fantastic at writing grant applications and, you know, scraping together any funding that we could get our hands on and, um, and, and very organised in the way that she approached it. And, and um, eventually some of that started to rub off on me and, and you know, I've been able to continue that. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, you know, we're, we're constantly uh, reinvesting in the business, um, really, you know, looking at how we do things and trying to do them as, as well as we possibly can um you know to to uh you know the, the i guess the, uh, what we are is bigger than just a business you know we're really integral mm. part of our town now and um you know we support a lot of events in town we're, we're really proactive in the direction that the town takes um you know the, the town has become much more of an outdoors focused town over the last 15 years that we've been here and and the brewery's been a fairly integral part of that so that's you know, it's really satisfying to see all of that come together um and you know over the years we've built a very professional team of um of people and you know so that helps to um keep that professional approach and and that um uh that ideal moving in the right direction when you've got the right people working for you which we have now and i, I should just say that we there, there are chat uh, available so if anyone's got any questions they would like uh, relayed to scott or anything that we move on from without actually having answered your question please feel free to uh just pop something in the in the chat room and i will relay them and also go back to some of them at, at the end of the the session scott one of the things that you just said is the how central Bright Brewing is to the city of Bright or the town of Bright. Was that something you set out to do or have you grown into that role as, as the town has grown and embraced you? I, I, think, I think we kind of set out to do it, to be honest. You know, um, we, when we moved here, uh, the outdoors was, there, there was a small group of locals who, were heavily involved in the outdoors just because it's right at the doorstep but it didn't really feel like it was the focus the tourism focus for the town um and uh so you know i guess i think we, sorry i don't, don't mean to jump in but I, I think you'd actually described it the first time we came it was almost the halfway point where people just stopped on their way to the ski fields it wasn't a destination in itself yeah that's right it it, it was the it's the gateway to the mountains um but I think a lot of the people who were running businesses in the town hadn't really picked up that that was a significant market because most people would come through, they might stop for a, a, a quick meal or something like that, but then they'll go through and go and climb out Feathertop or, you know, go up to the ski fields or, you know, ride their bikes to Beechworth or something like that and, and wouldn't necessarily spend a lot of time in town. Um, and don't get me wrong, the town has always been popular as a getaway destination for campers over summer um, but that has uh, traditionally been quite limited to um, school holiday periods long weekends and those types of times um, and 
you know, the, the main change we've seen over the last 15 years is much, is, is a lot more um, active people moving to the town to live. You know, there's um, one of the things that's really kicked off in the last five years is trail running. Um, and, you know, we used to have a, we used to have one or two events throughout the year over a weekend where people would come and do trail running. But now trail runners are actually moving here and, you know, they have a trails and ales thing every Tuesday night and, you know, probably 20 or 30 people turning up just to go running every, every Tuesday. You don't think it's um, the beer that's attracting them at the end? Well, <laughs> that could be part of it. It certainly helps. But, um, you know, we, we, we just wouldn't have seen that 10 years ago. You know, there, there might and, have been a and I, I think the last time I was, well, the, the time before the last time I was down uh, and we actually caught up uh, for a podcast then, um, there was a running festival. And, you know, it's something you just don't expect to see people that have just finished a 22-kilometer mountain trail run, uh, you know, hugging, being hugged by their supporters and then heading 20 meters up, up the hill and sitting and having a beer because it's the, the beer lifestyle wasn't always associated with that sort of fitness and that sort of, you know, adventure uh, ethic, was it? No, not, not really, you know, but I think that's because, I don't know, um, it's, it's more natural product now, I guess, you know, like it's a more, I don't know, it's, it just, beer tastes really good after you've done something like that too. <laughs> I <can> just say <laughs> that. <laughs> Uh, not that I've done any of those big ones, but, um, you know, after doing something where you've been out working hard for a few hours. It tastes pretty good after the gardening, I have to say. So even, uh, even without the running. That's, that's right. <laughs> so how long, you know, I, there's a perception that with so many breweries opening that it's a business that you just open a brewery and the beer just sells. Was that your experience? Because I know that there was a like a slow building period and four or five years ago, you ended up opening a larger production brewery in the area as well. Was that growth easy or was it you know, a, a real challenge to get to that stage? Certainly, certainly at the start, it was a real challenge. You know, um, 15 years ago, craft beer wasn't really on people's radar. And, uh, you know, the, the way I see it is... Um, probably 95% of the people who would walk through our front door had never been, had never even had a craft beer before. Mm. Um, whereas, you know, maybe five years ago that had turned on its head and, and um, you know, 95% of people that came in our front door had um, just because um, breweries are everywhere and you, you, you really can't visit a town now without a brewery kind of being the centre of it, which is great. You know, it means we're getting fresh beer brewed locally. Um, each one will have its own characteristics and, you know, it makes for something that's a little bit um, interesting to try. And, and you're not, and beer is no longer a product where um, it's all the same. Um, you know, now there's variety in beer. Um, and I think that's one of the, it's not just variety within a brewery, you know, like we've got dozens of different styles of beers that we make, but, when you go to a different brewery, they'll often have a slightly different take on how they make their beers. Um, and you can often pick that up. Um, and and certainly with beers like the, uh, the Raspberry Sweet Art Sour Ale, they're very different to the, the old one that if you had one, you'd have 10. And you know, I, I call those the weapons of mass consumption. 
um, <laughs> where you're just sort of drinking without too much thinking involved. You can actually just drink these and enjoy them for the for the very complex flavors um, rather than just as a, you know a, a way to get you to a a point of lack of sobriety. I guess that's right. And you know what we find too is you've some people just don't like the flavor of traditional beer. Um, you know, so to be able to make beers like this that really challenge those perceptions, um, it actually opens up our market to a lot more people once they've, once they've had a chance to try it. You know, th this would be one of those beers where, you know, you can give it to somebody who says, nine times out of 10, you can give it to somebody who says, oh, I don't drink beer. And they'll try it and then realize that, hey, this is actually something I would drink. You that, know. That's actually my own story. Yeah. I wasn't a beer drinker until I started drinking this stuff. And my dad, my dad was a brewer, so he would turn in his grave. <laughs> like, wow. there's, so much, there's so much more interest in the diversity that's available. Like in the mainstream beers, they're in this tiny little narrow range. And then you get beers like this, which sit out on the one end of the, of the exciting fringe for me. And then on the other end, the dark beers, um, you know, you get the, I always thought a dark beer was a Guinness. And I thought Guinness mm. was disgusting. And then I started drinking porters and stouts and I realized they're bloody fantastic. So it just, you know, it opens your mind that there's this massive range of stuff out there and it's really enjoyable. Scott, one of the things, just touching back to the point where you're very central to the community, you take that responsibility very seriously as, as a brewery, don't you? Not just in being involved as an active participant in the community, but in such a beautiful part of the world, the sustainability of what you do is probably as important as the quality of the, the beer that you make um, is the way that I yeah. see your brewery. Yeah, it, it is very important to us. Um, you know, I, I often wish we could do more. Um, you know, I'd love to get the, the brewery to a carbon neutral or net zero um, position, um, but there's a lot of challenges. You know, brewery, brewing is a very energy intensive process. Um, so, you know, I guess the flip side of that is there's then a lot of opportunities to try and reduce that. Um, but, um, but some of the, some of the aspects of the process are very difficult to mitigate those, that energy consumption. So, um, but you know, not necessarily impossible. It's, it's this type of thing that we're constantly striving to achieve. Um, you know, we we do feel that, and you know, we've been subject to quite a number of bushfires over the years, I think, you know, Five since we started, so pretty much one every three years. So why don't you make um, a rush bit? We do make a rush bit. <laughs> <laughs> rush beer is a smoke beer. Yeah, uh, not normally during bushfires. So, um, yeah, so you know it, it's very much in our face, and you know so there's a lot of incentive for us to try and do our bit um, to help with that, and. Uh, yeah, so, so we do as much as we can, but it, it extends beyond that too. You know, it's all about not just looking, trying to look after our environment and our town, but the people that work with us, you know, making sure that they're not um, working excessive hours, that they've actually uh, got the time to enjoy the parts of this town that we get to enjoy as well. So, you know, we're, we're pretty, um, uh, we're, we're, we're quite um, particular about making sure that, all of our staff, even those working in the kitchen and working a standard 38 hour week or less, you know, just so that they've got that work-life balance right. Mm. Um, and that, you know, and what we find is that they hang around, you know, like we have very little staff turnover um, and that, that 
it's not the only reason, but that certainly helps, you know, that they're, they've got time to enjoy themselves um, when they're not working. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like you've got... Yes. In the <laughs> and, and, and that's what sustainability isn't just about a, a low carbon footprint, isn't it? Because I, I believe that you're uh, uh, not just a solar farmer these days, you're a worm farmer these days, um, yeah. as well as looking after your staff, uh, you know, and making sure that their lives in the brewery are sustainable. Yes, that's right. Um, yeah, exactly. That's, that's, that's exactly what we're trying to do. Yeah. So now I'm very conscious with anything to do with alcohol. I don't want to turn this into a boat race where everyone has to feel that they uh, empty their glass and up, up bend it on their head. But we do have a couple of beers to get through that uh, Steve is very conscious. So hopefully everyone's got a spare glass and they don't have to finish the first one. What are you going to yeah. move us on to uh, second? You, you, you might notice as a pro, I just sort of put a, a little bit in my glass and I'll go back to the, uh, <laughs> to the favorite afterwards. Yeah. Do passion fruit or haze? Uh, let's do the passion fruit next. Okay. We'll get we'll yeah, passion fruit pale ale. Okay. Yeah, we'll go. We'll go sort of lightest to strongest. Even even the sound of that can opening. Uh, you, you said that it's a multi sensory experience, and we drink with our eyes with the color of that beer. And even the sound of a can opening this late in the afternoon gets you ready. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm glad we're not doing this in the morning. But even just for those that, that haven't got a beer in front of them, as you pour it, you just smell the passion fruit. Like I can smell it from here as I was pouring it. You don't even have to take it near your nose. So were any passion fruits hurt no. in the making of this beer? Not in this one. No, this is actually um, <laughs> interesting story. There's a small miscommunication between our brewing team and our marketing team when the label was made on this one. And we've probably overemphasized the passion fruit bit. It's really um, like it's passion fruit hop flavors that are coming through yeah. with this one. But you can smell it. Yeah. It smells like passion fruit. Yeah. And you can taste it. Like it, 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 that's, the, that's why I ask because the um, actually, just for, for, for those who are joining us that maybe aren't really immersed in the, the, the beer world, just explain what you know, the, the, the four key ingredients of beer. Um, yep. So we know where the, the main flavor compounds come from and why that's so surprising that this tastes a little bit of passion fruit. Yes, sure. And, and that's great. Uh, you know, this, this beer is a great example of this um, or one aspect of it. So the main ingredients are water, malt, hops and yeast. Um, and so uh, the, the malt provides the sugars that uh, ferment to give you alcohol and bubbles uh, in, a, in a basic sense. Um, the hops is used for bitterness, but also um, particularly in craft beers to generate some aromatics and flavors within the beer. Um, and the yeast does the fermentation of the malt sugars to- Does to the miracle of fermentation. So there's, yeah. a, there's a couple of questions that have just come through. One was, um, are all the designs done, um, get the exact wording of the question? Uh, do, does the designer do all the can artwork because they love the designs? Uh, we actually have two. Uh, so two designers that work on our products. Um, these ones, that, which are uh, pretty much short runs at the moment, mostly, are done by a... Um, designer in Melbourne that we've been working with for, for a while. Uh, our core range of beers, uh, which 
uh, I guess, kind of simpler designs, but we want them to uh, have, have the right feel to them, but also drawing on local landmarks and things like that. Um, they're actually done by uh, what a local designer here in Bryce. So we have a bit of a combination, but they're all, we outsource them all. We don't, uh, we're not good enough at label design to do it ourselves <laughs> and we've proven that. <laughs> like, Matt will attest to that. I think you've seen some of our old labels, yeah. I think. Actually, while, we, and while we're talking about labels, um, but actually before we do, Mark uh, Hubbard asks, what hops created the passion fruit flavors in this? Uh, that is a good question. And I'd actually have to defer to, my, to our brewers for that. Because um, often Galaxy, the, the Australian-developed Galaxy hop often uh, drives yeah, a lot of that hop character. It, it does, but I'm not sure that that's what we used in this one. And sorry, Mark, I can't answer that question, but get in touch with Reid and I'm sure he will help you out with that. <laughs> but that's actually a nice little segue that we'll come to about growing a business so you don't have to know everything yourself or you've got information on tap. So we'll come to that. But just before we do, when you look at the label, there's that little seal that looks like a, a stout that maybe Steve's not uh, all that happy about. Just tell us about what that means to you and to Bright Brewery. Yep, so that, that's the um, uh, independent Brewers Association seal, or the, um, it's basically to certify that the beer that's being made uh, by the brewery, that the brewery is independently owned. It's not, um, it's not part of a um, multinational uh, corporation's portfolio. Um, mm. It's actually Australian owned and well, prim primarily Australian owned. I think it needs to be at least 25%. Something like that, um, or no more than twenty-five percent foreign-owned, or or, or um, large corporation-owned. So, and uh, yeah, so it, it's basically a symbol to show that you're actually supporting Australian business, Australian independently-owned business. Now, as I said, we've been building up to sort of set the the background for the business and how it, it's evolved and become increasingly professional over the, uh, over the years that you've been operating, the 15 years you've been operating. What have you found have been the, the, the greatest challenges that you've had in terms of you know, understanding the business and you know, planning for that growth? Yeah, sure. And, uh, you know, I, I guess I've always tried to um, have a firm grasp of what our costs are so that we can work out what we should be selling things for or try and control our costs to make sure that, you know, I guess one of the sustainability targets that we have is making sure the business itself is sustainable in, you know, that there's no point putting all this work into it if we're not here next year, right? So um, been right through very focused on financially making sure that at the end of the year that we're actually making some profit or at least not going backwards, right? So um, a big part of that is being, especially when you're making a product like this where the margins are, can be relatively low, um, it's making sure you've got a really good handle on all your costs that are going into making it, including labor and then knowing how much of its overheads and how much it's fixed costs and those sorts of things. And so, you know, right from the start, I've been quite, um, focused on making sure we're tracking that and monitoring it and using it to, to um, help set our pricing and so on. Um, and, and so, 
you know, when we were small, that was relatively easy to do. You know, we could do that with some fairly simple counting soft, accounting software um, where, you know, you could just plug in some numbers and then maybe move some of it into a spreadsheet and go, you know, bang, bang, bang. Oh, there we go. There's our number, right? Um, and, and we could do that. But as we've grown, those systems become much more clunky because you've got more and more inputs. Um, you're trying to hand things over to other people to do. Um, so, you know, when you've kind of, when you're kind of manipulating stuff, um, uh, on the go, that's not as easy to hand over to new staff. Um, you know, so that's, I guess it was when we reached the point probably about five or six years ago of, and, and, and thinking about building our production brewery that you were talking about, Matt, now that's when I realized that we really, really needed to get our head around, um, a system that would kind of take a lot of that um, or do a lot of that work for us. I think and the other thing there that's got, that's got sorry, to take, when you take stuff out and you have to start manipulating in spreadsheets, by the time you get to your answer, that answer is actually already old. Because by the time you've got all your data together and you've manipulated it, um, it's already out of date. And sometimes you're not doing it very often because it's actually quite difficult to do. So it's the whole thing about, you know, being able to actually have live data talking to you all the time. And, and Scott, brewing, brewing is a very complicated um, enterprise uh, from ordering ingredients, getting them in, brewing, having beer in tank, into package, into retail. And it, it can be very, very hard to find where costs are sitting on a balance sheet and where income's coming in. Um, and, and I understand you've found that the systems that you're using now help you give a much more accurate by the day, uh, you know, view of how you're going, where things are sitting on your balance sheet, for example. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. You know, we, we it, I guess the, with, with the NetSuite um, system that we've got in place, that we can see that on a daily basis. You know, if, if beer goes out and into a warehouse somewhere, then that's transparent. Um, and we can see what that value is that we're moving around. Um, yeah, I think in your old system, it didn't even have multi-location. You had to actually create a new SKU for if it was going to be. Yeah, that's else. right. Yeah, and it was you know the the difficulty of actually having multiple locations was almost unworkable. Yeah, and you know, and the uh, when we when we came to actually bring the data across, we found that there were all sorts of errors that had crept into the inventory valuation, and you know, it just it was one of those things. We just said, it, well, we're just going to have to flush it through because that's it, it is what it is. Yeah, and you know, one of the one of the tricky bits with aspects of beer is the excise so um, as soon as the, the product leaves our premises then we need to be paying the excise on it unless it's going to another bond store so there's a lot of rules around how that's managed so you, you kind of need to be able to track um, not just the not just when product enters and leaves but what the alcohol content is of that product what classification it has from an excise perspective and then you know use those um, parameters to calculate what excise you need to pay and that might be over 20 or 30 different products each month right so mm. it, it used to be each week we used to have to do it each week and it was just it was a nightmare you know we only had six products but it was just it was a huge task um, and look the ATOs we've, we've actually had contact with the ATO when we were building the excise calculator and they are absolutely immovable on it. 
they and the, you know, the whole thing that came along with COVID where people started doing mixed cases as well. Um, they want to know the ABV in every single can in that case. There's no averaging of ABVs trying to make it easy. And there's a very, very small tolerance. You can't just use the ABV on the label. You've actually got to use a lab ABV of what's actually in that tin. Um, and to be able to track that through every single batch, through every single movement has some significant complexity. As you've moved to a, a multi-location business, how has NetSuite, um, with Steve and Cloud Culture's help, helped transform the business of Bright Brewing? Uh, well, I, I guess, you know, two, two parts to that. One is that NetSuite allows us to specify location. So when we move it, it's often just a matter of, you know, putting in a, a location change for that product. Um, but secondly, being cloud-based means that we can perform that from either site. So we're not having to, you know, come back to the office to just enter some data or, log or try and log in remotely and use software that's, you know, running in a virtual um, screen on, on another computer somewhere, which never works. You know, so <laughs> believe me, we tried it <laughs> and it just, it's hopeless, you know. So, um, you know, being, being cloud-based means that um, we can log on from anywhere um, pretty much and, and access the data or do the changes that we need to do. Well, the other thing is when they need help on something and they say, hey, Steve, Andrew, you know, Wendy, whatever, they give somebody a call and they say, oh, we need to find something, can you help us? We're in their system straight away. We don't have to go and log in and dig through and link up to things we're in and we can see things straight away. Um, and then the other fun thing is when they say, oh, who buggered that up? We can actually go through the whole system trace and we can say, well, actually it was you. Um, no, that's, that's uh, <laughs> so that happens sometimes. I did that to myself in my own business. But anyway, yeah. So um, being able to actually trace who did everything, when they did it, what was changed, when it was changed, all that kind of thing is very, very powerful. Now, I'm going to use one of those buzzwords at the moment of unprecedented because we've, we, we're still in many ways in that unprecedented time. And Bright, like a lot of other breweries, pivoted uh, <laughs> during, during that stage. If you didn't have the, the, the net suite with uh, cloud uh, culture working, how would the business have gone? You know, were your practices robust to survive that sort of just once in a lifetime challenge? It, it certainly helped a lot to having NetSuite. You know, I think the timing was perfect for us to have that all in place literally, you know, what, was four, November, four November, months? November 2019. Four months before COVID hit. So, you know, and that meant that when people did need to work from home or independently, that it was easy, it was easy to do. You know, they, we didn't have to try and work out some system where some people could be in the office working on the accounting system while others weren't here or something like that. You know, we could, people could just go home and do their work from home. So I think, you know, that was, we, we were very lucky that, um, you know, that, that certainly made that whole working from home uh, scenario much easier to implement. And we still have um, staff that work from home because, there's no, there's no need for them to be in the brewery to, to do that work. So 
what's next for Bright Brewing? And you know, what, how will uh, the, the NetSuite system be a springboard for the plans you've got for the, for the business? Well, I guess the, the great thing is that, um, you know, it's, it seems to be completely scalable. You know, like we, I, I don't see any problem with us uh, as we grow. Um, you know, we, we are looking at um, a number of ideas about uh, potentially uh, having more sales staff in Melbourne um, and, and other capital cities. So just from a sales perspective, it makes it easier for them to um, get involved with it uh, or to, to get straight onto the system. Um, we're actually currently looking at a CRM system that, um, that they can use as well that will integrate with Net NetSuite. Um, one of the most recent things we've done is just installed Lightspeed, which is a, a paperless pass for the, from the bar to the kitchen. So gets rid of all the paper dockets that would normally be printed out in a kitchen and, you know, fall out of the docket holder and slide under a bench somewhere and get lost. And so, you know, customer misses out on their meal, whereas now <laughs> it's, all, it's all digitized now. So, um, you know, they're all stored on a, um, or they're displayed on a number of computer screens within the kitchen, depending on what's being ordered. Uh, and it's just so much more efficient, you know, and, and there's, a, there's a copy of those, each, there's a record of each of those orders on there. So if something does for some reason get missed, um, it's easy to go back and find it again. So the, the irony is that Lightspeed as a company actually runs themselves on NetSuite. So Lightspeed mm -hmm. is, a, is a point of sale company. They're a NetSuite client as well. And they have a very powerful um, reporting engine that we can pull the data out and bring that into NetSuite automatically. So you've only been live on Lightspeed for a couple of weeks now. Yeah. So we're waiting for the dust to settle before we get the integration going. But the plan is, is to, to get the integration going. Um, Scott also mentioned the, um, the, 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 what you mentioned the CRM. NetSuite does have a CRM, but what I think we're talking more about is mobile sales. That's right. Yeah. So Andrew Dove's actually on the call from DSD. It's a mobile sales platform that the guys are on a tablet, but it's live to, the, to all the data telling them how much stock there is in each location, you know, what the person last bought, uh, where their orders are up to, if they owe you money, everything is live on a tablet while they're sitting in front of the customer. And that means that they don't have to pick up the phone every five minutes and say to the office, where's this person's order? You know, have they paid yet? Have we got stock of this? And it just empowers the salespeople so much more in the, in the field. Yeah. And it also just gives us a lot more opportunities. You know, if we decided that we wanted to open a, another venue somewhere or something like that, then um, that'd be super easy to do um, with, you know, with something, having that infrastructure there already, you know, we wouldn't even need to really replicate anything. We could just log in, you know, so it does give us a lot of, lot of opportunity. Did you ever anticipate that these were the things that you were going to have to incorporate into the business and learn about the business? And I, I guess how important is it having a partner like Steve and cloud, cloud uh, culture to help you through these processes so you don't have to, you know, be across everything yourself? Yeah, look, I, I mean, I, I was quite aware that we needed a solution like this quite a number of years ago, you know, probably, probably nearly 10 years ago as we were really starting to try to grow the business more. And we, you know, we built our restaurant and we realized that there's a whole lot of extra data there that we weren't really capturing properly from, um, you know, in the kitchen and just the cost of running the bar um, and, and those types of things. You know, we, we, we had a whole lot of systems in place for, um, 
determining the cost of the beer product that we were making. But when it came to running a kitchen and a bar, we, there was things that were kind of slipping through there. And, and it, we tried a number of different solutions and none of them really gave us that information that we needed. Um, and meanwhile, brewery was growing and we were struggling to keep up with managing that data from the brewing side of things as well. Um, so I was quite aware that we, we needed to find another solution. But of course, you know, it's difficult to know where to start with that. And, and there's, all these, there's all these options out there that seem like they're good. And then you hear from somebody who, you know, installed something or other and they're like, oh, don't do that. You know, we, we spent years trying to get that going and now we've ditched it and we're trying something else, you know. So, you know, and you'd see things that look all good and then you hear a story like that and you think, oh God, what are, you know, how can I trust somebody to, um, that somebody will actually deliver on this? And we didn't want to be going back and forth, you know, trying things and then abandoning them and then trying something else. Um, and so I guess, um, you know, the, and Steve, you know, back in the early days, Steve was one of those people, you know, who was saying, hey, this is the solution, you know, then this will be, this will be great. And, um, you know, at first I was like, oh yeah, okay, here we go. This, <laughs> this, this might be all right, but, uh, let's see. but you know, the, the more I, um, the more I communicate with Steve, the, the more comfortable, uh, I became, I became that he, he really seemed to have a strong grasp of what it was that we needed to do. You know, he, he was asking the right questions and he, he was, he had the right answers. So, you know, it became apparent after a little while that, um, you know, that was kind of the, it seemed like the best, um, uh, I guess, the, 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 the people that understood what we needed to try and achieve the best, um, you know, and, and so, and that's, and that's exactly what we found, you know, like the, the implementation process is a major disruption to the business there is no doubt about it right? but, but there's no other way to do it and um you know if, if you've got all these systems that you've been relying on for years and then you're going to say all right now we're going to move to something else it doesn't matter what you're moving to and how good it is it's going to be a disruption to your business mm -hmm. um and and you know there's this work to be done in retraining people and um getting the systems right to work with your business but you know the great thing about having someone like Steve involved is that he was there every step of the way with us and fixing, you know, any of these uh, friction points that we were having where we we're having trouble changing or not sure how to do it. That's when he'd step in and say, well, this is how we see it working. And, you know, so we could, we could then work on that and, and get that solution in, implemented. We and might look, just I, take I just, a I, Sorry, I Steve, like no, you, you, you no, I'd just like to also say that like, Scott's referring to me, but there's eight other people that sit behind me and some of them are on the call and um, each of them do an amazing job in helping us to achieve that. So yeah. you know, I want to give them some credit too. <laughs> now, having talked about lockdown, uh, we might move to the, to the next beer. Again, just little, little samples. So we're drinking very responsibly. Um, this is the lockdown haze. Tell us a little bit about this and we'll come back to the, uh, to the questions about NetSuite. I think um, this, <laughs> we, uh, we made this one right at the end of, of lockdown. So, and I think it was, you know, every, especially our sales guy in Melbourne who comes up with a lot of these names. I think he was just in this, uh, uh, 
like a haze, you know, he, he was kind of, uh, didn't really know what to do with himself. And I, I'm sure a lot of people can identify with that. Um, you know, we, we were lucky enough to have a bit of freedom up here um, in Bright being regional. Um, but, uh, you know, we really felt for everyone in Melbourne who was, who was locked down. So uh, this is a, um, uh, well, we're calling it a, a juicy. juicy IPA. So um, this is one where we're really using the, um, I guess the flavors and aroma of the hops as, as, as the prominent feature. Um, this was um, made with a special hop extract. We, we don't normally use hop extracts because they're a little bit, um, well, they're not, I guess, the natural form of the product. Um, but this one's quite interesting because there's a, um, uh, Ellerslie Hops did a, they've found a way to extract, not, normally when, using a hop extract, you're using it to provide bitterness to the beer. So what they do is they'll extract the bittering compounds of the hop flowers and they'll, that, that will be your extract. And then you just put them in the beer to make it bitter. Um, but this is one of the uh, only ones I know of really where they've actually extracted the aromas from the hops and, and incorporated those into the extract. So what we're able to do is add those into this beer and, and give you a whole lot of um, hop flavor and aroma without any of the bitterness from that hop. Um, so yeah, so that's, that makes it more juicy flavored, I guess, if you like, which is kind of why, we're, why we've named it that. Yeah. <laughs> now, what, while we enjoy it, because uh, again, hazy, uh, once upon a time, Cooper's was about the only hazy beer going and uh, this certainly doesn't look like your old school beer. No. It, it, um, yeah, no, it, it, and with a lot of these um, sort of fruitier beers, um, you know, they'll often be a little bit hazier to them as well. Um, I'm not actually sure whether that's come from the, I'd be surprised if that's come from the extract, probably mm. more from the other hops that we were, we were using in there as well. There is, there is still a little bit of bitterness in here. It's, it's um, cause we haven't just used the, uh, the salvo extract um got a bit of uh amarillo and centennial in there as well i think so um you know that that's sort of leading to that haziness a bit i think and speaking of old school beer and at the time when things were a little bit different in the brewing industry one of the challenges that small breweries like yourself had getting started was there were no canning lines that were made to the scale that suited your business. There were no, uh, you know, packaging lines, and there's the, the, the whole industry has had to restructure to fit the needs of a business of your size and scale. How yeah. well has Net uh, Netsuite worked with you to, you know, work with a small but growing business? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's actually, you know, it. I mean, it's, it's quite a commitment to to move to it, but. Um, you know, I, I think the stage we're at, then it's it's certainly been worthwhile. You know, it's we were looking at having to put on extra people, basically, to to help manage our admin just with mm. the extra work that we're looking at. So when we sat down and worked it out, we, we could actually, um, you know, the cost of installing the software actually is more than offset by the labor savings that we've made. So. We, actually, we actually do a calculation when we're presenting it to clients that are looking at it. 
and generally we, we land up somewhere around 30 to $45 an hour employee. So if you could imagine an employee that was costing you 30 to $45 an hour, but adding efficiency to every single process all the way through from salespeople placing an order, finance doing their thing, logistics, supply chain, procurement, manufacturing, and all of that talking to each other, adding efficiency to every step for the price of one or two people. Um, you know, if you met, met took it as one, sort of 30 to $45 an hour on average, that's pretty bloody good value when you look at what it mm. does for a business. Mostly what it saves us is double entry. You know, we're getting to the point where we're double or even triple entering some things just to try and track our costs and, you know, fit within the excise requirements and all those types of things. So, um, but just but really just now, like we're pretty much just single entry into whichever aspect of the Nestweek platform that we need to put it into and, and that's it. So, you know, it's just saving us a lot of just manual labor of, of in data entry, which is and it's, frustrating. It's, and it's interesting you talk about double entry like that, that one of the challenges that they had with COVID when it started is they had a WooCommerce website and those people that weren't drinking in venues now started looking at people's websites to order. And suddenly from only having a handful of orders a week, people were starting to go onto the website and want to place orders. And it became a bigger and bigger challenge of, you know, that goes into, into a, a, an e-commerce site. And then somebody's got to take that order and re-enter it into NetSuite. And there's a company called FireApp, which Oracle have seen the value in and they've actually bought them. Um, and FireApp is a proprietary integration technology that as the order comes in, it just appears in NetSuite. Nobody touches it. There's no re-entry. So whatever your customer enters in the, in the e-commerce site, bang, it just sits there. And I think, uh, I think at one stage you were getting, you know, well over a hundred orders a day coming through um, when special releases and stuff came through like that. And the guys in, in supply chain, weren't spending all their time sitting typing things. Mm. And then the next evolution to that is organizing freight. And in fact, today on the mm. other side of this wall, they were actually doing the test with a product called Ready Freight, which is another uh, product, which is NetSuite has this whole Suite Cloud developer network. They have about 580 Suite apps, which you can actually get to work with NetSuite. And they're all certified and tested. Um, they have to join a program to get into that. And Ready Freight um, in the next few days when those orders hit, we'll do all the um, freight booking at the side, whether it's going with Sendal or Australia Post or whatever it is, and we'll print out a label for them and they'll have to do slap it on. So nobody's having to go into another platform, enter a person's address, work out what the rates are and all that. So it's the efficiency that it adds the whole way and the opportunity that it adds for efficiency that's so important. Yeah. It's interesting that there are so many benefits to a brewery from a, an application such as this? Is there one that's really stands out as the greatest benefit um, to you in installing it? For me, for me, the biggest benefit really is the, the fact that it's online, it, like it is cloud-based um, and we can access it from anywhere we want because, and, and that was kind of the first thing that we realized when we went to a second venue being the brewery that's located off site is that we needed something that could operate, um, you know, not just on a desktop somewhere and, and operate properly on the cloud. So for us, that's the biggest benefit, but really, you know, it's having that, you know, it's almost like having custom design software for your business, custom design accounting software um, with all these, with, you know, 
whenever we've needed an add-on to do something, there's a solution already there. So mm -hmm. we're not having to get anything custom made for it. The, you know, if it's to integrate to our website, then it's it's there, right? And if it's to, um, you know, even with the new point of sale that we've selected, you know, that's the system that will work with NetSuite. And so, you know, they work together and it just means that that's less steps that we need to manage um, in between the, the different aspects of the business. I think anybody who's gone through custom software development knows it's a very painful process. <laughs> and when you can literally turn something on and it works, yep. Um, yep. It's, it's pretty incredible. Yep. So, like the, sorry, I was just gonna say that, you know, we, we've installed four different point of sale systems now and the, the light speed implementation, not that it's necessarily next week, but it's, you know, it, it integrates to NetSuite, but that was that was the easiest installation we've ever done. You know, it basically went in within about a week or so, whereas most of the others have taken months of back and forth and, you know, tweaking things to get them right. So it's just nice when things work. So there's two words that sort of Scott's touched on there is flexibility and extensibility. So the flexibility mm -hmm. of the platform is immense. So even the other component we use, which is called Barrel ERP, they actually won the award from NetSuite in 2016 for the brewery component. You know, sitting in, in these vessels here, when you start making beer, you fill up a kettle and then you do multiple batches of a kettle through in a fermenter. Just a simple thing and being able to handle that through a manufacturing process that each batch of that, when it lands up in a fermenter, then gets grouped as a batch. It does all that. Scott was talking about bittering in the beers, the, the IBUs, the alpha acids, all those kind of things. It tracks all that kind of stuff in brewery speak, but the platform is built with that flexibility built into it. And even the stuff we've done as cloud culture on the, on the excise and the CDS, the container deposit scheme, being able to track that. The CDS report took us about 30 minutes. Now that enables us to track every single can into every single state in one report. Once a month, they push a button, bang, and it gives them that report. And to me, that's one of the biggest gripes that I hear from brewers is that there aren't applications that fit the very unique business challenges that brewers have. Um, and I would imagine it's been fairly rigorously stress tested in a brewery that's uh, been growing such as Bright has. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like, um, it, 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 it actually took us a little while to sort out the, the excise component in, in the start, but you know, like that's, we're still improving it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, so, so is the government by, so is the government by the way. So it's, yeah. uh, <laughs> we'll get it, we'll get it completely sorted and then they'll change it. <laughs> uh, there's a, um, the, the other thing is the extensibility side of things. The one thing that maybe we didn't mention along the way was uh, the payroll system. Yeah. And when COVID hit and all the job keeper stuff came in, the people mm. from the cloud who are also part of the sweet cloud developer network they're a new zealand based business um they've in the 20 something years that netsuite's been around they've actually won the international award twice for being the best application that's been built for netsuite it actually sits inside netsuite it's not sitting outside over in its own platform it's actually written in the code it's in your platform you don't even know that it's separate and when when jobkeeper came along these guys worked night and day they had the developers working around the clock when JobKeeper hit bang, and they didn't charge anybody an extra cent for it. And they put that into play. And it's just that kind of dedication from each of the Sweet Cloud developer partners that keeps pumping stuff in. 
the people from Barrel ERP have actually just rewritten the whole platform in the latest version of what's called SwitchScript 2. And we've only just started playing with it and having a look at it. And the first version of Barrel ERP was great. But the second version, Scott hasn't seen it yet, is pretty bloody amazing. They've done some really, really clever stuff to do it better again. And you, there's 580 solutions, um, odd solutions that you can add on. So when somebody says to us, you know, I've got more complex supply chain planning challenges, there's about a dozen supply chain planning tools that we can actually, that are more powerful than the one that's already built into NetSuite if you need that extra grunt. So what was, Scott was talking about, about growth and what happens when you grow is, mm. you know, sometimes businesses will have their own quirky requirements and you just, it doesn't run out of puff. It just keeps growing with your business. Now, I'm just very conscious of the time and the we are fairly uh, soon scheduled to finish. So we may not actually get to the Affogato Stout, but that's probably a good uh, one to save for after dinner tonight for anyone that's uh, got one in front of them. So maybe you can just tell us a little bit about the Affogato Stout and then yep. I'll come back with one last question before we, uh, before we finish. Yeah, sure. So uh, this, this particular one is actually... Uh, a, a double version of our um, the one that we would normally make. Uh, I think we've been doing it for two or three years now, which is just a regular African sing, um, single shot. Are we calling this double shot? Double shot. Yep, yep double shot. Imperial Africado Stout. So um, this this one's actually uh, made in collaboration with the local coffee roaster, um, and uh, it's got uh, basically coffee and um, yeah, just a nice, um, uh, nice coffee flavor to it. Uh, this one's quite strong, so there's a, num a number of standard drinks in this can. Uh, say here three, somewhere, three standard, three drinks. standard drinks. Um, so <laughs> it's, it's probably best left there for this evening. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good one to share. Um, yes, and uh, we'll also it's, just. If, you, if you're wrapping up, I don't think we can actually leave this one out. This was sort of like a little surprise that I asked Scott to add at the This end. is one of Steve's favorite. <laughs> but, uh, it, so, another so, collaboration that we did, um, we started this a couple of years ago, is actually using our Russian Imperial Stout to make a whiskey with one of the local whiskey distillers. So um, we made uh, a couple of thousand litres of, of our Russian Imperial Stout and distilled that down into a few hundred litres and uh, just this year, we've re released our first whiskey. So, and look, I, I love beer and I love whiskey. And I got a bottle of this when it came out. I think that was the day that we broke the e-commerce site because they released it and, and everybody <laughs> wanting stuff. Yeah. And my bottle arrived, and I was absolutely blown away. Um, I've actually since been to Blackwoods and gone and tasted their other whiskies. They are a very, like, really, really good job that they do there. Mm. But I have to say, I think this is the best one. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. Facilities. Um, another little thing as well is at the end, I'm going to be sending everybody um, uh, a little offer from Bright if anybody is interested in purchasing any product from them. And uh, I would highly recommend this if you've got someone you want to spoil with a Christmas present because it is actually bloody fantastic. Really amazing. I'll be uh, letting my daughter know because I certainly want to bother her what I've heard about it. Um, but just, just to take us out, and thank you everyone for joining us today. And thank you, uh, Scott and Steve, for, uh, for talking us through the, uh, the implementation of, of NetSuite and also the partnership with Cloud Culture. But one of the things that as a beer writer just excites me is that a brewery like Bright is growing. We're seeing you expand. How is NetSuite 
helping you grow and, and helping you to continue to grow? I, I, I guess the main thing is it, it, it um, you know, it, it's not, we no longer are having to worry about software limiting our growth. You know, so we can pretty much, you know, do whatever we need to, um, you know, whether it's more locations or just more people, um, you know, scalability is um, not really limited with this, with this product. So, you know, more sales staff, all of that type of thing. So, you know, it, it's, it really, and this is one of the main reasons that we wanted to move to this um, platform is that, you know, we want to grow. We want, we want the brewery um, to be a, a major player in, in the craft beer scene in Australia. So, um, you know, it sets us up perfectly to achieve that. Well, Steve, before we do sign off, if anyone wants to find out how Cloud Culture can partner with them to get NetSuite into their business, I, I take it everyone's got your details or do you want to uh, yeah. give us a, uh, a, a, an address that we can go looking for? The, the email that I sent the invite from is my personal email. Uh, I'm one of the founders of the business. I'm absolutely passionate about the product. Um, I actually ran it in my own business for five years. That's how I fell in love with it. Um, and it's strange I use the word love, but a lot of our clients use that word as well. So if you want to hear a bit more about the journey that we've gone on, not just with Bright Brewery, but a lot of other um, small, medium, ASX listed um, companies, some of them in the, in the brewery and, and alcohol space, um, some of them in other food industry ones, but generally around wholesale distribution and manufacturing, drop me a line and uh, we'll get in touch. Scott, before we let you go, where can we find out more a little uh, about Bright Brewery? Where can we order your uh, beers and uh, apparently whiskey now as well? Yeah, that's right. Um, well, uh, once again, our, our website is brightbrewery.com.au. So uh, there's, there's links to our shop and, um, and, and all those types of things there. Uh, and, uh, you know, come and visit us in Bright sometime. It's, uh, we've got a great uh, deck and restaurant just, just by the Ovens River in Bright. And um, you'll have a great time. And I, look, I, I can't echo that enough. It really is one of the most magic locations in Australia and the beer is pretty good too. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. <laughs> thank you. Thank you all for Thanks, joining Matt. us. And uh, Steve, thank you very much for, for, for hosting us. Uh, for this conversation about uh, NetSuite and cloud culture. Thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks everyone. Thanks for coming. Cheers. Thanks everyone.